Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, one of our hiatus topics, is about John Jones, aka Martian Manhunter, aka Space Dad. Yeah. So this was our most requested topic out of all of the options. <laughs> and we have been saying to each other repeatedly throughout our six months of podcasting that every time we talk about Jean, we have untapped <laughs> Jean feelings. So yeah. we're excited to finally do a whole episode just focused on Jean and his story and his relationships with different characters in the show. Yeah. And we often mention how Jean doesn't get quite as much focus as we would like in fandom, at least in like Tumblr fandom, as the third sort of lead of the show. But it was nice that he was the most requested hiatus topic. So this will be a lot of fun. And we hope you enjoy it. Indeed. So in season one, when we first met Jean, he went by Hank Henshaw. And at the end of episodes, had this like red glowing eye thing and like ominous music would play. (laughs) And it was a mystery. Like, who is this guy? What's he going to turn out to be? And and comics fans were speculating about it. And many of them guessed that he was going to be Cyborg Superman, who Hank Henshaw in the comics became. And that's originally where they were going to go with it. But... They just looked at David Harewood and were like, he just seems like Martian Manhunter, Sean Jones. And that's one of the reasons that I guessed he was going to be Martian Manhunter, because he just has that vibe to him. And he reminds me of the iterations that I've seen before. Well, and they didn't change it until after the pilot was filmed. But I think he might have been the only cast member who knew from the beginning that that was where his story was going to go until it got closer. Mm. And it's cool when you go back and watch season one and take into account the fact that we get that reveal later because then you see it come up a little bit in the ways he interacts with Kara and Alex, even though they don't know yeah, like maybe why he's doing things the way he is or why he's telling them like to do or not do certain things. Mm. And that's also interesting in terms of we find out later on that he had been in their lives yes. beforehand secretly to take that into account. And like if you guys go through a rewatch of season one. These are some fun things to analyze, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But in terms of David Harewood playing Jean, a quote that I came across from Carl Lumbly, who has voiced Jean Jones in various Justice League media, he said that in the reality, David Harewood is, for me, the definitive Jean. If I could have imagined what I wanted to see when I was voicing it, it would be him. And he played Marin, Jean's father. So that's just a nice bit of approval that we got from our legacy actor. It is, especially because Carl Lumbly played a very similar kind of mentor type role on Alias, which is where a lot of people might know him from. Yeah. So those two characters, the one that um, Carl played and then the one David plays as Jean, were very similar in terms of kind of being these guiding, helpful figures for the particularly female characters in their lives. So that's really fun. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So getting into Supergirl's take on Martian Manhunter, we have some bits of backstory that we've gotten across the seasons that we're going to go through. For instance, Jean once said on Mars, we were encouraged to decide our line of work when we were very young, which is interesting because the Martians have very long lives. Yeah. And we don't know what their relative young is, but do you know that this is a value sort of that they have, that they make this decision early on and possibly stick to it. And then moving forward with other values that we've seen that this culture has. Nonviolence was something displayed frequently in the storyline that Jean had with Marin. And we can see now in season four that Jean is very actively pursuing that value and um, trying to live up to it. And it seems to be very tied in with their religion. Marin was like the highest religious leader that they had. And that's one of the reasons that the White Martians didn't kill him. Although I do wonder how much that value trickled across the Green Martians, because we do know that Jean was in law enforcement and was a warrior of some sorts. He battled. So the 
this idea of nonviolence, I wonder if it was most intense, kind of like in our society within like religious leaders and like devoutly religious people. Hmm. Although, of course, we see the contrast of the white Martians who were comparatively more violent than the green Martians as far as we have seen. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting because both Martian cultures are similarly collective in the sense that they both have this kind of thought sharing ability. Yes. Both use it. And that's something Jean talked about a bunch with regard to green Martian culture and the way that you established relationships and bonded with other people. Yeah. Megan, who was a white Martian, seemed to have the same sort of understanding of that bond that Jean did. There didn't seem to be any um, conflicting cultural value there. Yeah, but that it's just interesting then that the white Martians became so violent, generally speaking, because I believe when Jean talks about the bond between green Martians, that, you know, you have no secrets from other people, which you would imagine extended to there being a lot less misbehavior in a sense, because you yeah. know when somebody was doing something wrong much more quickly and you'd be able to kind of sort it out. Yeah, well, when he talks about like mind reading and then having this bond, the traditional Martian way of communicating, he says, imagine a world without ego, selfishness and without lies. So yeah. Yeah. And we see when Marin comes to the show that he really tries to get Jean to embrace that connectedness to live life outside of the DEO and to live as Ron Mir taught is what he says, connect with people and, and live amongst them. So there's a lot of support for this concept of like a collective culture. We kind of talked about this a little bit in some of the previous podcast with looking at ways that like Kara's culture on Krypton is different from Earth and specifically American culture, which is extremely individualistic, where like all the emphasis is on you as a single person and what you can do with your abilities and your self-expression, etc. And Jean, with the way he's described Martian culture, it's even more collectivist than Kryptonian culture was yeah. because you have this element of emotional sharing <laughs> to such an extreme degree that we haven't seen before. So in a collectivist culture, your focus isn't on you as a person. It's on the priorities of the group and achieving group goals, paying attention to the feelings of others, making sure that you fit in and you behave in ways that follow social norms and create solidarity. Yeah. And, and your identity and the ways that you understand and define yourself come from the way that you fit within the group. And so it kind of makes sense then when you look at Jean and the way he's lived his life on Earth, it's interesting that he's always had to live as someone else in order to create an identity because he doesn't have anyone to connect to where he can be himself. Yeah. So it is interesting because his his values and his goals are focused on the collective good. Yeah. But his lifestyle is sort of more secluded and isolated. Yeah, and that, of course, makes sense because he spent so much time avoiding being picked up by government agencies to be, like, taken away to be experimented on. Yeah. Well, I mean, first we have that his entire people were wiped out. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> That's important. Just to, like, walk through the development here, we have first his people are all wiped out. In a genocide. In a genocide, yes. You know, after that traumatic experience that he had for we don't even know how long, I don't think, right? No, Marie mentions being in captivity for at least a couple hundred years. Yeah. So it doesn't totally work with some of the math that they'd previously established with how old Jean is, but essentially it was a really long time. 
Yeah. So he's sort of severed from his people and can no longer communicate. It's kind of like, imagine if everyone on Earth were wiped out and you had no one to talk to, you know? And so he comes to Earth and then he's on the run from... A lot of things. A lot of things. You know, aliens were not... Nobody knew about aliens publicly and the DEO was hunting him and we don't know how long before that he was on Earth. But, you know, he describes when he first came to Earth how he flew up into the sky and tried to be empty. So it doesn't seem like he was in the headspace to be trying to connect to the humans on Earth. Exactly. Or to learn kind of what their social rituals were or to forge relationships with people and integrate himself into that society. Like he wasn't looking to find another home at that point. And probably some of that is related to like survivor's guilt, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. And he he talks about how he lost his family and it's taken him a really long time to sort of acquire a connection that is on any level close to what he had with his wife and his two daughters. And then he's at the DEO for quite some time in between Jeremiah's supposed death and Hank Henshaw's supposed death and in between those two deaths and Alex coming to the DEO. And so he's pretending to be somebody else and and his connections that he's having with people aren't genuine. Like when Hank Henshaw's buddy came on the show to interrogate Jean in season one when everyone found out that he was an alien. He mentioned how Jean as Hank Henshaw came to have dinner with him and that guy seemed incredibly xenophobic. Yeah, so Jean was maintaining all of Henshaw's social relationships essentially like nothing had ever happened to him. Yes, you can't if he suddenly becomes like pro-alien people are going to clock him. Yeah, and that's something we'll again discuss more later but there was some kind of contention in the fan base during season three with Jean's decisions to make changes at the DEO. And you have to keep in mind that season three is really the first time that Jean's in charge of the DEO as himself. Yeah. So that's a large part of why all of that started happening when it did. Although Jean was sort of mistrustful of other aliens, we've seen that he believed in some of the things that he was doing at the DEO, that role he was playing. Yeah. And that's a place where the difference between him and Kara is related to like why they were isolated as aliens on Earth. Hmm. Like Kara lost her people and her society because of an environmental problem. Jean lost his family, his his culture and his society because another race of aliens came mm-hmm. in and imprisoned and murdered them all. So like yeah. his his reasons for thinking <laughs> that you should be mistrustful of other species mm-hmm. are a lot stronger and kind of more ingrained in who he is than maybe yeah. Kara, who clearly traveled a lot as a child and, you know, recognizes lots of different species and is perfectly comfortable interacting with many different kinds of people. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about how they complement each other. Yes, compliment. So Jean, we've seen that after being part of this really collective and connected group, was severed from it and then wasn't in a space where he felt he could try to make up for that loss. And we have that layer of him being sort of mistrustful. And so Jean's story is very much about overcoming those traumas. And the trend seems to be like Jean facing what is painful in order to be you know, happier and, and stronger and, and do more good. Um, for instance, we have him making 
making connections, new connections after his loss, even though that's really painful for him. Trusting people, like we've said. Mm. Facing the idea that there are some good white Martians. Yeah. Which has got to be difficult to wrap your head around after they killed all your people. And then in season three, facing his father's death. And then we also see, very much tied to the comics version of Martian Manhunter, his fear of fire. We see that Jean has uh, like pyrophobia because he says his planet burned to death. The white Martians put his people into furnaces and created fire traps. And so he understandably has this phobia of fire. We talked a little bit about how fire relates to Jean and how fire symbolically relates to some other characters in the show in our Faith podcast. So you can check that out if you would like to see that analysis, for instance, with Car and the Sun. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting specifically with Jean because fire seems to represent in a way like knowledge or truth, like tied into his religion and his culture. We see that fire reveals the green or white Martian underneath the shapeshift in the episode where there were two white Martians in the DEO and they were trying to figure out who was a white Martian. Jean put his hand up to the fire and underneath you could see that it was a green hand. Yeah. And then it ended up being Wynn put his hand up and you could see the white Martian skin. Um, So it's sort of this idea that it reveals the truth. Mm. And that's actually a really cool concept because when we see Marin sharing memories of green Martian culture with Jean, we see Hranmir, their god, giving sacred scrolls to the first green Martian and Hranmir's eyes actually have fire shooting out of them. Mm -hmm. So you again have that connection with this concept of truth and fire is kind of like this cleansing thing that shines a light on stuff symbolically. Hmm. Yes. And, you know, the eyes sort of representing knowledge is a kind of a common thing across literary. And the eyes as the window to the soul. (laughs) What? Yes. And then sort of to contrast with that, in this season, in season four, we saw in the Man of Steel episode where we went into Agent Liberty's past, Jean, as the Martian Manhunter, fought a Daxamite through the Lockwood family's house. And Jean said that they're safe now and then left. And then their house burst into flames. So that's an interesting contrast of fire representing knowledge, because Jean not noticing the fire representing his ignorance and tying into that disconnect from people. He's more focused on the sort of violence aspect, the contrasting with his culture. Ooh, yeah, that was a nice catch. Yeah. And this concept of fire representing knowledge can kind of tie into something we might recognize, Greek mythology and Prometheus. Who was a human who stole fire from the gods. Yep. And fire in that story often represents knowledge and technology. Mm. And we've talked a little bit about Prometheus with Lena and her storyline right now, which is about Lena coming to understand that progress and technology can hurt people in unexpected ways. So the modern Prometheus connecting to the Frankenstein storyline and so on. And then for Jean, we have him basically fearing fire. And in a way, we see that he fears certain kinds of knowledge because they could hurt him, tying into his his trauma. So in season three, we saw Jean really grappling with Marin and the fact that he was going to die and, and sort of not wanting to face it and continuously saying that he's not ready. And his journey was sort of accepting that truth that he was going to lose Marin again. And the beginning of that storyline also had a sort of truth aspect to it where Marin refused to recognize that Jean was his son. He didn't want to open his mind to the possibility Mm -hmm. because it would hurt him. And it's interesting because that storyline wraps up as Marin is sacrificing himself, becoming one with the earth. They're surrounded by flames. Jean and Marin are standing in this sort of rocky area and flames are jetting up from the little chasms in the earth. And then Jean has that vision and sees the god Ron Mir and he sees 
the fire in his eyes. And so Marin says, you looked into the flames and you had no fear. So Jean faced these truths. He faced the truth that he was going to lose Marin and he accepted it enough to have this vision and, and get that bit of history, that knowledge of where the Green Martians started. And we see now, since then, Jean has faced fire and hasn't had an adverse reaction to it, as far as we can tell. Mm. In Elseworlds crossover, he shielded people from fire now that he has come to terms with certain things. So we've seen Jean develop in terms of him having this reaction with fire, like in the Manhunter episode in season one, when he has a discussion with Jeremiah. That's when we first see that Jean fears fire to now being able to tolerate it more and face it. And we see him have that relationship with the truth. We've seen across the seasons that he's not always the most like honest character on the show. No, which is interesting given that he talks about the honesty that was involved in his bonds with others on Mars. Yeah. But it's also fascinating when you consider that he can gain insight into the thoughts of everyone around him, but they can't do the reverse. Yeah. And so you see him kind of use that to his advantage as like a survival and a coping strategy, but it has the ripple effect of making him do some really emotionally manipulative things sometimes to quite a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like you already mentioned when he interacts with Jim Harper and like Lucy Lane is in that scene as well. And they're both kind of offended that he's been lying to them all this time about who he is and what he represents essentially. Mm -hmm. But then there's also you had the situation in season one when Astra dies, Jean tells Alex, you know, not to tell the truth. And he steps into that and takes the blame for it to kind of bear the brunt of Kara's anger. Mm-hmm. and her hurt over it. Yeah. And that sort of ties into that idea of his values being like pro-social, wants everyone to get along, but then him sort of taking uh, unilateral decisions and being secretive, which is not a very collective mindset. Yeah, well, it is and it isn't because he's looking at it from the perspective of like what will maintain yeah. the unity of the whole group. And he recognizes that, you know, Kara needs Alex way more than she needs him. Yeah. So that's what I mean, like in terms of his lifestyle, not necessarily being collective. Yeah. But the ends justifying the means, Mm -hmm. which is funny because Alex says, can we just agree to stop doing the wrong things for the right reasons? And we'll talk a little bit about Alex's role with this later. In that instance with Alex, Jean had shapeshifted into Jeremiah to sort of test her, which is not the only sort of questionable shapeshifting he's done. No, they use it again in season three. You see in the Midvale flashback that the FBI agent who looks suspiciously like Kara's dead mother <laughs> suspiciously is actually Jean pulling the same trick again. So I was joking and I was like, this is Jean's parenting go-to <laughs> strategy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like traumatic for everyone. <laughs> when he really wants you to like not do something that he thinks will ruin your life. <laughs> Yeah, he uses it to sort of manipulate people. And he also does it with Marin to get a specific reaction from him to trigger a memory. Oh, yeah. He shapeshifts into a white Martian, which is like got to be triggering for Marin, but he he goes for it. (laughs) Yeah, which is fascinating, too, because it's like, okay, he must have gotten the idea that that was an okay thing to do from somewhere. So 
Well, I think it might be the isolation. Maybe from just being on his own and having, yeah. dealing with his own. There are no checks and balances. Like he just, he has these powers and nobody knows about them and they can't ever confront him about it. True. So he just does what he thinks is best for everyone. Which is really funny because at one point I, very tongue in cheek, brought up the fact that having Jean at the DEO was its own form of um like search and seizure amendment violation because he can read your mind. Oh, <laughs> and he is technically since he's an employee of the government. Like, um, <laughs> Jean's not allowed to be near people who have a, a higher level clearance than him. Jean's not allowed <laughs> to be near people. <laughs> and it's funny to say that and to see that he sometimes does these maybe like questionably ethically acceptable things to either connect to people or to get them to recognize stuff about themselves because we see him so often in this mentorship role throughout the series and obviously with Kara and Alex but more than that and it's something that at least fans that we interact with don't talk about much but Jean has been a mentor figure for every male character on the show mm. and as you've mentioned before, he's also kind of the stand-in for the fatherhood narrative that comes from the Superman mythos. Yes. I came to this realization when Kara said to Jean, the son becomes the father, the father, the son, which is a quote from the Richard Donner first Superman film with Christopher Reeve, which I've talked a little bit about before, him inheriting that role, that sort of beating heart of fatherhood in the series of Supergirl. And a recent observation I had was Marin's last words to Jean are kind of similar to Jor-El, uh, Clark's biological father, his last words to Clark through the Fortress of Solitude in the Richard Donner films. Jean says to Marin that he was able to face the flames because Marin was with him. And Marin says that will never change, Jean. And Jarrell also says something similar, but we will never leave you even in the face of our death. Marin tells Jean to live as Ron Mir taught among the people. Jarrell says to live as one of them, live as a human. And both of them sort of put forth this idea that they should try to do good in the world. Marin says promote peace. And Jarrell says for this reason above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you. And so it was interesting to see these ideas parallel because Jean has kind of taken over that role of Superman and being the father of Supergirl. And what was also interesting in that comparison was that Jarrell never says, you know, and be happy in your life. <laughs> Have a good time, you know, make friends. <laughs> no, you will strive for excellence. Truly an ethos for the millennials out there. <laughs> Mm. And we've talked about before how Kara values being extraordinary over her own personal happiness because like Alora's last words and, and the ideals that she imbued in her were that Kara exists to protect people. Rao protect us so that we might protect others. But Marin, his final words to Jean are, and be happy, my son. Um, so good job, Marin. <laughs> Which says a lot about who he is as a person. Yes. But also is much more in line with kind of when we talked in the parenting episode about the different mom styles. Mm. Marin is one of those whose interest is ensuring that his child is living like a happy kind of balanced life. Yeah. As opposed to focusing on success or something else. 
Yeah, which is interesting. It is. Well, and it was cool that they brought in Marin in season three to give Jean a different angle on a parent-child dynamic that also ran parallel to what we got with Kara later in season three, where she also finds out that a relative she thought was dead is not. Mm -hmm. And one of the other kind of intriguing things that we got in having them bring in Marin was understanding how much of kind of the way Jean behaves is intrinsic to his personality versus is caused by maybe the trauma and stuff that he's experienced because of being a captive and tortured and on Mars. And one of the most striking kind of differences was that Marin, when we saw him, after they rescue him and he's kind of settled in a little bit on Earth, is he's so much more almost lighthearted in a way. He's he's a little bit more easygoing. He has a clear sense of humor, which I'm trying to remember the last time we saw Jean make an actual joke. <laughs> Yeah. And he's just, he's so interested in learning about the people around him and finding out, you know, well, what's this called? Oh, I like the taste of this food. He takes so much joy in getting to know Wynn and Alex and Kara and all of the other people in Jean's life. Yeah, which in a way sort of makes sense for Marin as a person who was forced to be secluded versus Jean who has this sort of self-imposed seclusion where he's surrounded by people but is traumatized in a way that made it difficult for him to sort of reach out versus Marin who wasn't given the option and now suddenly has the option to to be out in the world and experience things and, and connect to people. Mm, and I think it ties back both to like the professions that they chose for themselves mm. on Mars, but also to the ways that their captivity experiences were different. Yeah. Because Marin, as someone who was a huge community leader, it would make sense, obviously, that he has a personality that puts people at ease, that he's curious about people, that kind of thing. But he also, he was held in captivity, isolated from a lot of the, the horrible stuff that was going on because he was of value to the White Martians. Yeah. Whereas Jean was very much in the thick of all these different genocidal events that were happening. His family was ripped away from him. His wife and his daughters were murdered. He saw people being killed and tortured all the time. He was in a labor camp. He's got a very different kind of sense of how you live life that's deeply rooted in the trauma of all of that. And it affects certainly some elements of his personality and how he's very often serious and kind of reserved with people. Mm -hmm. And he was also, in terms of their different professions, he was in law enforcement. So it, it's interesting how what we know of their sort of intrinsic personality traits and the way that they were traumatized kind of coincides and, and puts them on very different ends of the spectrum and how they experience things. Yeah. And we also know for sure that some of those things were there as part of their personality because because we have that flashback where Jean shows that memory yeah. of a snippet of their life before the Martian War happened. And you still have Marin with this sense of kind of playful mischief interacting with Jean's daughters. Yeah. That's very present in the way that he kind of teases Jean when we see them together in season three. <laughs> yeah. Delightful. It is. We do know that Jean maybe wasn't always so, so serious. <laughs> yes. As a child, he had a, an imaginary friend named Zook, as Marin mentioned. Who he frequently would use as a scapegoat when he did things he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. So maybe Jean's trait of like... <laughs> Actually, Wade, this goes back to your other point about Jean and his sometimes questionable ethics. He would use yeah. Zook to lie. <laughs> Yeah. When he did something he shouldn't have. Maybe he was the outlier in their society. 
Yeah, maybe Sean <laughs> was like a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when he talked about how they shared a bond like every night, his wife and himself, he was talking to Monel about it and he was like, yeah, try getting away with things in that environment where everyone in the world like <laughs> can read your mind. Where everyone you know. <laughs> so uh, I guess he tried. Oh, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of being a mentor for male characters, that scene with Monel. Oh, I loved that scene. It was so good and it frustrated me so much that not very many people talked about it after the fact this is something i think people don't talk about as much with this show because since it is called supergirl and the main character relationships tend to be between women there's not as much attention ever put on the ways it portrays masculinity or relationships between men And the scene from season three, and this is in episode 313, both sides now, of Jean giving Manel marriage advice, essentially, was an absolutely beautifully done scene for several reasons. First of all, you have this nice kind of intergenerational thing going on where Jean as this older kind of father figure who's literally hundreds of years old and has all this life experience and perspective is being valued for the wisdom that he has. And Monel is quite respectfully asking for his opinion and listening to it, number one. (laughs) And number two, they have this wonderful conversation about how to manage an intimate relationship in an emotional way. And the whole thing is centered on emotions. It emphasizes the fact that having a good relationship requires work and it's not always fun. You know, Jean flat out says it's it's not always good times. Like there are bad times. My grandparents have said the same thing. So to me, that it rang very true in things that I've heard from the elders in my family as well. But it also stood out to me as being somewhat unique in that it was a conversation between two men about understanding women that never degraded women. Mm. Or said like, oh, she's just, you know, being annoying and you've got to go with it or anything. It was like, no, you have to really, you know, if you want your marriage to work, you have to be honest. You have to put in the time. You have to learn what is the right thing to do in a certain situation or what's the wrong thing to do. You have to ask your partner, you know, what is the right thing that you should be doing for them. And when they did that scene, I remember kind of feeling like I wish we'd been able to get scenes like that throughout season two as well. Yeah. (laughs) Would have been nice. (laughs) Maybe some things would have went better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was one of the places where Monel was very badly misused in season two. He wasn't given any opportunities to get to know any of the other characters who weren't Kara, yeah. even though he was spending time at the DEO. There was no focus on building that relationship with Jean mm-hmm. at that point in time. There was no relationship built with Alex, for example, or anyone else. Well, which is disappointing because now we see that Monel and Jean, that their scenes together were really nice. Yeah. Well, and they were able to make it work because they gave you the idea that Jean is still alive that far into the future. And so hmm. he and Monel obviously had established a, a better relationship over time. Yeah. And so then it made it fit that in our present of the show, Monel still felt comfortable coming and asking him for that sort of advice. Yeah. And listening to it. Yeah. A thing he had trouble doing for a while. <laughs> yeah. And and like you said, that was a nice scene in terms of men connecting like emotionally and not being all weird about it <laughs> and like uncomfortable and like making jokes about, oh God. <laughs> Women have feelings and it's so hard. <laughs> (laughs) hard and I have feelings and I don't like it. 
Um, <laughs> uh, which this show has has been pretty good with. They are the James and and Win scene when when they think Win is dying. Yeah, he was talking about how he was afraid that he hadn't achieved everything he wanted to in his life, and they're like both crying and they're men, and it was like wild. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like wow. And I think people forget that half of the audience of this show is men. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily seem that way if you look at like the comments on maybe Supergirl's Twitter or Instagram because they're mostly from women. But in terms of like the numbers coming out of viewer demographics, half of the people who watch the show are male. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that they're working that stuff in on a more subtle level through Jean and, and the relationships he has with the other characters because besides that one lovely scene with Marnell, his relationship with Wynn when they transitioned Wynn to the DEO was equally wonderful, especially mm-hmm. because we know that Wynn's actual father was a terrible person and then he spent yeah. like half of his childhood in foster care mm-hmm. and then they formed such a really nice cute bond when called Jean Papa Bear. Wynn gives him all kinds of nicknames. <laughs> yeah. And then one thing that we did see in season two in terms of these like male relationships that went pretty well, we saw Jean interact with James in 220 City of Lost Children, which was a nice episode because we saw three generations of black men interacting. Yes, because we had the little boy who was the guest star for that episode. Mm-hmm. So the little boy connected to James and Jean was giving James advice about that. And we got some more back story for Jean and they had a nice interaction. I'd, I'd like to see more with James and Jean because it, it was really natural and, and it's not fully tapped yet. Yeah, I think from a narrative standpoint, I think maybe part of the reason for that is because James is kind of off in the Catco silo. Yeah, although now it's more open. Yeah, but I think historically it's been a little bit harder to do that because they've always been in like totally separate storylines and locations a lot of the time. Yeah. But we did see them come together again in season three in in the episode where they were investigating who was selling commercial versions of the DEO's weapons. Yeah. And that that one, again, that's where the show is able to do some of the work on intersectionality and tackling other kinds of social issues because you had Jean there as the head of the DEO and James coming in as the leader of CatCo. These are two very large kind of powerful organizations, both run by black men, and they're coming together to address issues related to gun violence and kind of social manipulation and abuse of people. Mm. And that was very cool to see, especially given that you'd had kind of throughout the whole season, there's very subtle issues with those power dynamics had come up repeatedly with both Jean and James individually. And then you got to have them come together for it in that episode. So that was equally nice. And I also hope we get to see more of Jean and James interacting. Maybe, maybe now that Jean is not so tethered to the DEO. Yeah. There'll be more opportunity for that. It would be nice to see, especially knowing that some of the reasons that James's efforts at kind of mitigating the anti-alien sentiment have floundered is because he doesn't use his connections to actual aliens to mm. kind of inform his decisions in the same way that, say, Alex was doing for the front part of season four. Yeah, because we've seen that Kara doesn't seem comfortable really confronting James about some of these aspects. So it, it might be an interesting option to go with James and John interacting. Yeah, that would be very cool. Um, And then sort of along those lines, <laughs> we had the introduction of Manchester Black as mm-hmm. an acquaintance of Jean's. <laughs> and you had some very strong feelings about that in the way that you described their relationship dynamic. <laughs> 
Yeah. So Jean comes into contact with Manchester and Manchester sort of shares the Himsa concept. And they have a little bit of a dialogue going back and forth about these ideas. And then Manchester loses Fiona and Jean tries to, you know, invite him to Thanksgiving and, and kind of get him to connect with his little family, which is interesting in terms of Jean himself knowing how he reacted after his trauma. Mm and secluding himself. Well, and that's also how he reacts in the beginning of season three when Alex is starting to lose patience with Kara cutting herself off from people. Jean says that they just need to wait. Well, I feel like it's the opposite of that where instead of... Well, but I'm saying he cut himself off and then he told Alex to leave Kara alone. But here he's like, you need to come and be around people immediately. (laughs) Yes, that is interesting. And so I was saying that it's like Jean collects kids in the way that Cora collects moms. Or Jean collects children like Bruce Wayne collects children. <laughs> also fair. Maybe he does a better job at it, but... <laughs> oh! Sorry. Only there was a Batman to fight Martian Manhunter. <laughs> Jean's actually the reason that Bruce Wayne went missing. <laughs> there can be only one father. <laughs> Who is more hashtag relatable with the kids. <laughs> And then, obviously, Jean is really crushed when Manchester later on, like, betrays that relationship. Yeah. I mean, he's also physically and emotionally harmed on purpose yes. by Manchester, so... Mm-hmm. So the uh, Martian man-father slash dad-hunter is kind of accurate. Speaking of wins, many nicknames for Jean. Yes. <laughs> and the fact that Jean plays this role of a mentor and like a father figure for several of the characters really ties into who he is as a person. In season two, when Jean was talking to James about the young alien boy that had connected to James, he said when his first daughter came along, he finally realized that he had a mission in life. Protecting her made me realize I had a gift for keeping people safe. So I joined the law enforcement on Mars. I became the Martian Manhunter. So that urge to protect his daughter pushed him into this role of Martian Manhunter. So Martian Manfather is uh, correct. And then we see when Jean loses Mars and, and his whole family and is sort of secluded on Earth when he sees Jeremiah. What really eventually gets him to connect with people is when Jeremiah tasks him with protecting his daughters. So he realizes that he has like a new mission. And I thought it was kind of comparable to how Kara became Supergirl. She did it to protect Alex. Mm. And it's also similar to why Alex ultimately joins the DEO. Yeah. And that's to protect Kara. So it's like it's a nice triangle. The trio really. Yeah. They're all trying to protect each other. And the trifecta of overprotective family members. <laughs> oh, I have to save my family member. I guess I have to become a hero. <laughs> Oh, well. My relative is in danger. I guess that means I have to save everyone now. It's only fair. (laughs) And this being Jean's motivation, uh, protecting his daughters, is also why it was difficult for him to stick to his Ahimsa nonviolence value when Kara had almost died at the start of season four. Kara and Jean is one of my favorite relationships in the show because they have so many things in common, but they come at them from very different angles because they're... Yeah. Very different points on the spectrum in terms of life experience and age. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also just temperament, really, and, and like worldview. Yeah. And I talked before about in the Danvers Sisters episode that we did that one of my favorite qualities in a relationship of any kind is when they complement each other in terms of like pushing and pulling and, and their interactions making them both better people. So I quite enjoy Jean and Kara. 
Farah? Well, one of the biggest things that they have in common, which we kind of talked about already, is the fact that they're kind of like the last survivors of their entire species, essentially. Yeah. And they both bear quite a lot of guilt in knowing that and carrying that weight emotionally. Yeah. And it's let them connect in a really nice way emotionally. Yeah. Some of my favorite scenes are because of that. And it's also interesting to see how they react to each other in certain scenarios because both of them have kind of gone on like suicide type missions. <laughs> yeah. And they're both like, no, that's not a good idea. But then they're also kind of, they kind of understand. Yeah. Like in the finale in season one, when Kara goes to say her goodbye to Jean, he doesn't try to stop her and he clearly understands her yeah. intentions. He's just really sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that has the, uh, the forehead kiss that I love. Oh, yes. Yes. And then when Jean goes out to help Kara, when Lillian Luther is trying to release that like alien killer that would kill every oh, all the aliens, the virus. Yes, it would kill all the aliens except for Kryptonians. So they want Jean to stay at the DEO, but he also at this point is suffering with an infection from a White Martian virus, and he basically says like if he's going to die either way, he'd rather do it on his own terms as himself, and so he goes with Kara. Yeah. And Kara's kind of, again, sad, but also understanding. She, and, she and, respects that. Yeah. Yeah. Their relationship is interesting because we've seen the, the most change between them because yeah. their interactions in season one were very different. They definitely were. And it's funny because I had done – someone asked me to, to try to do a personality typing thing, like a Myers-Briggs one for the main characters in the show. And – when I did it, I also cross-checked them by like how the different personality types are supposed to relate to each other if you see them interact. And for Kara and Jean's, it was like compatible enough that they'll get along, but they're likely to butt heads from each other, but also form like a relationship where they learn from each other. <laughs> and that's definitely an accurate description, I think, of yeah. of Jean's relationship dynamic with Kara. He starts out as kind of this gruff figure who's trying to protect her, but he's also trying to keep an emotional distance. And she gets under his skin, as she does, because she is <laughs> an endearing person. Yes. And, and um, <laughs> she eventually not only pushes him to open up, but pushes him to change, you know, the ways he does things, the way he thinks about certain kinds of things. And so that's been a really lovely evolution that mm -hmm. we've seen with them. Yeah. Initially, he, he like refuses to call her Supergirl. I love that scene where she awkwardly is like, well, we'll find our thing eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Alex is just kind of standing there in the background like, oh, man. <laughs> But that's funny because we find out in Midvale, Jean like didn't want Kara to use her powers initially. He tried to prevent her in the flashback from going out as like a kid and getting involved in like criminal activity and trying to prevent things. Yeah. Well, it's actually very similar to the kind of scare tactics he employs in the pilot episode in season one mm -hmm. where they shoot her out of the sky with a kryptonite dart <laughs> yeah. that she apparently didn't even know kryptonite existed. Mm -hmm. And he tries to basically tell her that she shouldn't do this for any number of reasons. Yeah. So it's funny because we see him again kind of employ certain tactics to manipulate people <laughs> into doing things that he thinks is best for them. Yeah. And with Kara, you've noticed before, it tends to backfire a little bit and mm. in a way that makes it seem like because he can't read her mind because she's Kryptonian, he yeah. can't get as good of a read on like what emotional hooks to use because he makes several missteps in that scene in the Midvale flashback when he's trying mm. to talk to her using her mom's face 
Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, like number one. <laughs> number one. That was a poor That's, choice. Like, terrible. <laughs> well, but but number two, he tries to play on what he thinks are the things that Kara's parents would have valued yeah. in a way that immediately rings false to Kara and makes her even angrier because it's being said in her mom's voice, like with her mom's face. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, we've seen with Marin, as we talked about, that Marin emphasized at the end of his last words to Jean, be happy. And that's not something that Jean and, and Cara have in common. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So he had that missed up where he said, your parents wouldn't want you to. And she cuts him off. But he was trying to get her to think that her parents would want her to just be safe and to not risk her life and the lives of people she loves yeah. in order to go out and save people and be extraordinary. You know? Well, and the difference in their outlook there also makes a lot of sense when you consider that for as much as it was a surprise to Kara that her parents were sticking her in this pod, it was on their part pre-planned. Like, they chose Earth as that destination for a reason. Yeah. Jean, for as far as we know, it just kind of ended up there because it was like the next planet over. <laughs> and he was coming there to hide. Kara was coming there with the directive of be extraordinary. Like, yes. those are two very different things. Yeah. And he sort of expects that, like, refugee mindset of I'm trying to survive and, and live. Because, yeah. you know, it is a common emotion and, and you might expect that to be a, a familiar. Well, but see, and I like, now that you say that, I like that too because Kara and Jean represent two very different kinds of immigrant and refugee experiences in terms mm -hmm. of how and why they've come to their the host country and like yes. their expectations for what is a thriving life. Yeah, good point. So that's very cool. Mm -hmm. And also, I just like to compare Jean's sort of method there in that scene of, of saying your parents wouldn't want you to use your powers, basically, versus Eliza, who apparently, like the first time the car let Eliza hug her, Eliza said your parents would want you to be loved, which goes much better. And I think as has to do with Eliza having more of an understanding of maybe parenthood in a way. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. Well, but kind of. Jean was a parent, too, before, you know. He was, but his children were young when True. they were killed. So there were a lot of different experiences that he he maybe missed out on with them that yeah. he now at least gets to have a little bit with Kara and Alex. Yeah. So that was a fun sort of contrast because it was like very similar phrasing between Jean and Eliza. Mm -hmm. But then we also have later on in, in season two, we see Jean and Eliza, like quote unquote, parent Car and Alex respectively in consecutive scenes. And the scenes. scenes are back to back with each other. Yeah. Yeah. We start out with Alex coming out to Eliza, you know, Eliza sort of prodding her into it. And then we see the scene with Jean and Cara where Cara expresses her disappointment in her father and fearing that death and destruction is their legacy. Death and destruction across the universe is, is their imprint on it. And um, Jean says, your parents' legacy is not death and destruction, Kara zor -El, it's you. I also thought it was a nice touch that he called her Kara zor -El in that scene. Yeah, and in recognizing her whole heritage as a person. Yeah. So Jean understands Kara more now, I think. Yeah. And then you had made an interesting point of how they have this very nice, almost symmetry to their relationship with each other where yeah. they push each other to kind of embrace their inner selves, if you will. <laughs> yes. So, you know, they have this common ground of an understanding of loss and, and different mindsets about it that they use to sort of help each other and like build each other up and guide each other toward who they really want to be. And I think it's interesting that when one of them is down, the other one is usually in, in kind of a better place to be able to sort of pull them up. It's a, very much a back and forth like a seesaw. Mm. We see, you know, uh, Jean sort of convincing Kara 
Kara to embrace Kara Danvers or let go of this idea that she needs to go out and be a Supergirl back in Midvale when she was in, what, middle school? Mm-hmm. We see Jean try to convince Kara not to go out and be Supergirl while she's still in like high school. And that pushes Kara to really embrace Kara Danvers. He uses the fact that she would lose people that she cares about again. And he uses his own understanding of loss and, and what she would fear having experienced what she experienced to convince her in a way that's more sort of truthful and um, organic than his initial tactic mm. of, you know, showing up with her mother's face and saying that her parents would want her to just be happy he tried to anticipate what she would want in a way that didn't resonate with her well and then in season one on the flip side you have Kara after she kind of embraces her identity as Supergirl and they find out that Jean is an alien she starts kind of trying to persuade him that his life will be better if he lives it more honestly and more openly in Strange Visitor from Another Planet, 111, a white Martian is attacking people and Jean decides that he wants to kill the white Martian. She stops Jean from killing the white Martian by giving this kind of speech and describing the loss that they both had. You know, it says it makes a hole in your heart, but you can't fall into it. You have to fill it. You have to fight. So that idea of like filling it and connecting to people and making new relationships and not falling into that sort of darkness. And, you know, that propels Jean to take a step toward what we know later on ends up being him being nonviolent in a more fully realized way in season four. And that also propels him to take kind of a step with Carr and Alex. And, and mm. he says that, you know, it's not the same, but any man would be proud to call you his daughters. And then we also see that Kara helps Jean accept new love in Megan in um, season two. That's the Eliza first hug scene that we talked about. And then in the next episode, Jean gives that legacy talk we talked about. In season three, they had a really nice scene in the first episode, the one where Kara says that she can't help people if she's broken. Yes, that was a good scene. Yeah. I watched a bunch of reaction videos. Sometimes I do that because I went to see if people liked the same things that I liked and relive it. And I really liked that scene. And a lot of people sort of skipped over it, which made me sad that they didn't react to it. But that felt like a pivotal moment in the episode and a big part of Kara coming back to being Kara Danvers. Jean emphasizes that Kara saved him and helped him as Kara Danvers and those values that she learned in being Kara Danvers and overcoming loss to build new relationships, which it seems like he has learned since he first said that her parents wouldn't want her to use her powers. He instead goes to this tactic of emphasizing that Cara Danvers helps people and appealing to the fact that she feels like she needs to be a hero as opposed to rejecting it and trying to convince her of feeling a different way. So he brings her back to that identity. And I thought it was interesting because Jean pushed Cara to initially become Cara Danvers in high school. And she has used that push to later on help him in different ways. And now he's trying to help her sort of come back to that. So it's like a cycle of them helping Helping each other. A cycle. Yeah. <laughs> A cycle. And then in the third episode of season three, we see Carr encourage Jean to show Marin who he really is and, and get over that. And then in terms of, you know, helping guide each other back to their true selves, Kara encourages Jean to show his father who he really is. Yeah, when they're on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And how he's dedicated his life to making sure what happened on Mars never happens anywhere else. Which is very similar to her advice to Alex in season one about telling Eliza that she works for the DEO, actually. <laughs> yeah, um. that was interesting. And then in 312, Kara is like stressed out because she's just waiting for Rain to attack and can't do anything in the meantime. Mm. She can't like act 
and uh, go fight somebody. And Jean reminds her that, you know, Supergirl isn't just someone to fight the enemy. She's a symbol. And he says, Supergirl's here to remind us on Earth about what's best in ourselves, that that's what's most important. That's more important than if you were to ever catch another bullet, which is cool because it ties back into his developing nonviolence attitude and playing a role. Well, and it also is nice because it reemphasizes kind of why Kara became a hero in the first place. Yeah. And and kind of grounds it again. Yeah. He, he again guides her back to who she is as Supergirl in the way he did before Kara Danvers, that role. And it's interesting because their end goals are often very similar in terms of like becoming their best versions of themselves. And Kara as a beacon of hope is the best version of Supergirl. And, and Jean is now, as we see, following that nonviolence path. And in terms of that scene, we also hear Kara's like main theme, the main Supergirl theme that plays at the beginning of the episode, usually in season one and two. Oh, yeah. That was very cool. Yes, which sort of reinforces that this is important to Kara's identity as Supergirl, and John's helping her with that. And in season four, we see after Manchester betrays them and puts Kara in danger, Jean apologizes to her because he feels like he failed to protect her. Oh, that scene was so brutal to watch because he was so upset. I mean, he was upset for himself, and then he was also upset because it put Kara in danger, and then she almost died. Yeah, it really cemented that father figure role that he has. But it was cool because Jean apologizes for wanting to believe the best in Manchester and Carr's like, um, you're talking to the wrong person. I'm I'm totally on board with that. And and sort of guiding him in terms of having doubts in, in his own beliefs and saying, like, no, this is something we share. This is a quality that we both believe in. But we also see them butt heads sometimes. At the very beginning of season four, Carr's tendency to believe in the best in people it got in the way of seeing things how they really were. She didn't want to believe that the events that were occurring were hate crimes. Yeah, so that's another point where you see them kind of at odds with each other, but then that helps them find a better understanding. And John has John has been aware of this the entire time because he even says as much to Alex in season one, like, the world will perceive Kara Zor-El very differently than it would perceive him or maybe an alien that doesn't look very human. Yeah. And Kara doesn't really see that all of the time, mm-hmm. especially because she lives so much of her life around other human beings. Yeah. I mean, she experienced the feeling of being different when she was in school and stuff like that. So it's not like it's a brand new concept to her. But she- No, but Kara very much is a lot like someone who is a very fair-skinned minority, for example, who, who experiences a certain kind of mistreatment and also the feeling of being different or maybe socially isolated, but who doesn't experience some of the other things that are associated explicitly with visibility looking so different that people prejudge you and treat you poorly mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. Um, whereas John has quite a lot of experience. With- yeah. Both as a Martian and in his life wearing a human face. So yeah. In that same talk that we just mentioned with Jean and Kara, and Kara not feeling comfortable just waiting for something to happen, Jean says that the current state of the world reminded him of Mars before the Civil War. So he has quite the dramatic example for how these things can go. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> a bit. And then that's interesting in terms of the comics character of Jean. Hmm. 
because he initially he was mostly in his like green skin and then shapeshifted into like white characters but one of the first times that he portrayed a black man was in the storyline during the civil rights movement so and i know david is really david harewood who plays john jones Mm -hmm. is sort of moved by this idea that john chooses to live as a black man because he sees it as john living for oppressed groups and, and trying to help and trying to change the world rather than change himself to look like someone the world would accept more. So this character is very much rooted in this idea. And Jean himself is very experienced with this. And meanwhile, Carr is sort of used to their dynamic being this sort of back and forth about how to conceptualize loss. And, and she herself has had a lot of wisdom to offer Jean as far as overcoming it and forming new relationships and hope and all that. And she doesn't really recognize initially that he understands this type of discrimination more deeply. And that's something that Alex has a, an easier time clocking. Yeah, well, and that makes sense, too, when you consider that Alex's relationship with Jean is quite different, and also she spends more time with him. Yeah. They also have similar, like, personalities yeah. in some respects. Their worldviews are a little closer to each other's in terms of their, yeah. as you put it last week, people skepticism. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which then goes to kind of the different functions that Kara and Alex serve in Jean's life in terms of how they affect him and mm. change his perspectives like Alex is a little bit more of a realist and she will definitely push Jean to kind of recognize the world the way it is <laughs> and Kara on the other hand being more of an idealist in some ways and being more optimistic likes to push for seeing things that could be in a more positive way yeah and in season three helping Marin often <laughs> benefited Jean so by extension when Kara helped Marin to sort of open up his mind to the idea that the person standing in front of him could actually be Jean, his son, by appealing to his his sort of faith and responsibility to do good, something that they shared. And then one of the other ways we see this play out is Jean's decision to start changing the way they treat prisoners at the DEO and his de-emphasis on lethal force and violence both come as a result of his spending more time around Kara, understanding kind of what she stands for and what she values as a hero. And also it comes at a time when he he's more authentically embracing himself and his own culture. Mm. So and she was a large part of pushing him to do that as well. Yes. And then we have Alex, who, like you said, as a as a realist, has helped both Marin and Jean sort of face reality, you know, in season three. She had experience. Her grandmother had dementia, and so she had some insight in how her mother had to and how her mother coped with it that she gave Jean it's sort of a more grounded way of helping. But Alex, in terms of like helping them face reality, was the one who started to notice that Marin was showing these signs of dementia and mm. talked to him about it and got him to tell Jean so that they would face this problem and face the truth in a way, as we talked about, Jean has had trouble with. And she also helped him. Yeah, she was definitely his biggest source of emotional support as he went through the process of recognizing that he needs to kind of let go of his father so soon after having him back in his life. Yeah. Jean and Kara had a couple talks about it and Kara telling him that he was a good son and such. Yeah. It's just interesting to compare the way that Kara helps Jean and Alex helps Jean. Yeah. So we've talked already a little bit about how Jean's relationships with Kara and Alex are kind of different for a number of reasons 
reasons. Part of that is that, as we said earlier, like he can't achieve the same exact level of familiarity because of the lack of mind reading capability with Kara. So she is sometimes a bit more of a mystery <laughs> to him in terms of understanding her thought process and maybe why she does things. Yeah. But also, too, her goals and her needs are very different than Alex's, which we talked about in depth last week when we talked about the Danvers family. <laughs> but considering that Jean plays such a parental role for both of them, and much more so for Alex, they openly talk about that a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it's true. You're my dad. It definitely is something that has come up at least once a season. Yeah. <laughs> and so kind of the, the, the relationship and the bond he has with her is, is a little bit different. And the ways that he gives her advice or maybe works with her, much like how Eliza had different parenting styles for mm -hmm. each of the kids, Jean has a different way of handling them as well. Yeah, because we have Kara who... who Jean wanted to keep safe by preventing her from using her powers and going out there as an alien. Meanwhile, we have Alex, who he recognized that she had sort of issues surrounding comparing herself to Kara and Kara's capabilities and, and also internally just wanting to achieve and be good enough. He took her and brought her to the DEO to, you know, become like an action hero. Which, yeah, which on the one hand seems like, what are you doing? That seems like the opposite of safe, but it does give her all of those things. She gets an immense sense of satisfaction and kind of confidence in her own skills and abilities. She gets put in a leadership position. She is better able to fulfill her personal goal of kind of looking out for Kara. Yeah. And she's right there where he can see her yeah. <laughs> and keep an eye on her yeah. and make sure that everything's okay. Well, he says, he literally says, I recruited you so that I would honor, you know, his promise to Jeremiah and to protect you as if you were my own child. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because you see season one, there are so many great moments at the DEO of like Alex going off and doing something and Sean being like, no. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like watching a parent with a toddler that has like a reduced self-preservation instinct sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and like they're fully confident that they can do a thing and you're in the background like, why did you just get the idea that you can jump down the stairs? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite particular one of these in the early part of season one is in 108, which is Hostile Takeover, when this other telepathic alien escapes from his containment cell and starts like taking out the DEO officers who are still in the building and at this point Alex is suspicious of Jean because she sort of thinks she knows the truth about him but she doesn't and like Jean's aware of this because he can read her mind <laughs> <laughs> um, because we've seen like little snippets of him aware that she's like digging around on the computers and doing research mm. but she because she doesn't trust him like locks him up she doesn't know he can get out but um <laughs> <laughs> decides that she's gonna go take on the telepathic alien without him by herself and you just see him there like Alex no <laughs> um, it's such a parental way like yes um but then again this kind of goes back to his issues sometimes with honesty yeah also true i mean obviously it would have been a weird conversation to have and be like by the way i'm not actually your boss i am a space alien like like out of the blue <laughs> yeah but their dynamic is interesting because i feel like in some ways alex more so than like kara feels that missing void of a father figure because of the loss of you know jeremiah and just I don't know, personality-wise, Kara has that tendency to, like, seek out mother figures, but Alex is all set. <laughs> and I don't know, 
know, it's just like, I think that's part of the reason why Alex and Sean have a more expressed, you are my father figure relationship. Yeah. Well, and you see it expressed so much more like we see her spending time with him outside of the office in a way that we don't see Kara do so much. And well, a little more now, but I mean, we've seen Alex and Jean, just the two of them, multiple times outside of the context of work. And also she comes to him for advice about lots of things that are not necessarily related to a day job where Kara doesn't so much, like even when it's something about like a personal issue, it's usually a personal issue related to her superhero identity somehow. Yeah. It's also often connected to that sort of thing that they share, that loss. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with Alex, they both kind of take ownership of that parent-child dynamic to the point that in 301, Alex asks Jean, you know, to be the stand-in for her father at her wedding, yeah. which I, I don't know that I would see Kara at that point emotionally, at least not at the moment. Yeah. Plus, I, I mean, Alex has a head start Yeah, <laughs> in terms of, you know, Jean has been a mentor figure for her for two more years. Yeah. So she has the edge in that Jean knows her better and has known her longer. Yeah. And then as we've alluded to a few times already, their personalities are much more similar and yeah. compatible in some ways. <laughs> he makes that joke about Alex her, <laughs> being unrelenting. Her unrelenting seriousness being one of her best qualities and like he's teasing her a little bit but i think he also kind of means it yeah <laughs> i mean yeah they share it so <laughs> yeah which just makes the trio funnier because there's like kara who's like bubbly often sometimes sunshine and, and optimism <laughs> and, and we then have the two like sean and alex are like the sky is falling everything <laughs> is going to die yeah. like, it's okay kara's sunshine and optimism can counterbalance both of them on Cara's one side physically and emotionally strong enough to hold up both of them <laughs> it's fine yes but in terms of that we've talked about a couple times, um, specifically with Alex, she helps Jean live sort of truthfully. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about Jean's tendency to lie, essentially, in various different ways and to sort of manipulate the truth. In season one, when Jean takes the blame for killing Astra, Alex is the one to like confess to Kara in front of Jean that she killed Astra. And then they share that nice bonding moment with the three of them, mm. the hug, and then Jean goes to walk away and Kara makes her stay because Kara and Jean had that um, conflict over it. Kara makes him stay because Kara and Jean had that conflict about it. So Alex is the one to kind of clear the air and keep Jean mm -hmm. from continuing that lie. And then when Jean's taken into federal custody after he reveals that he's a Martian in episode 117, he encourages Alex to lie and act like she didn't really know him or have any particularly strong connection to him to keep her out of trouble for her to say that he betrayed her even yeah. and Alex is like no I know and that's so ag goes against like everything yeah. Alex stands for as a person and she's like mm -hmm. absolutely not but it's interesting that she emphasizes of the skills that Jean taught her she specifically mentions lying <laughs> yeah she's like I'll lie I'll convince I will do everything you taught me to do I'll do all of the skills that I acquired to be an elite secret agent yes but and this is very core to who Alex is as a person she's like I will not abandon you yeah and it's sort of like there's a line that she won't cross as far as lying like yeah well and that's interesting because that came up again in season four when you had colonel haley saying all of those kind of negative mm. things about jean and alex immediately spoke yeah. in his defense yeah so she's that's ready definitely her line in the sand is the mm -hmm. people who she thinks of as family if you mess with them you're 
goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like a great liar, but she refuses to do so under certain circumstances, especially revolving around the people she cares about. Well, but that's funny too when you consider that she also says like to Eliza that she hated having to lie. Mm. And then in season two, Eliza says keeping a secret disagrees with you. Yeah. And it's also funny when you have that flashback where Jean comments about how his actual daughters were bad at keeping secrets. Um, mm. And both Kara yeah. and Alex in their own ways are <laughs> equally <laughs> not disposed to it, which is kind of fun. It's when both of them like don't really want to. Yeah, but I was going to say it also emphasizes that Jean does have this inclination to be secretive that seems to go against kind of his cultural values. Yeah, like when he shapeshifts into Jeremiah in season two and Alex says, as we talked about, <laughs> we just agree to stop doing the wrong things for the right reasons. It's like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. That one in particular, like the one with Kara was cruel, but this one was, and Alex at least says to his face, like that was cruel and you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because also making Kara see her dead mother is also kind of not... Well, yeah, but I mean, think how disorienting that is. He shows up as Jeremiah in Alex's home at night, telling her all this stuff and then physically transforms into himself, yeah. like, after it's done. I was just saying, like, if we are comparing, Kara also had that moment of, oh my god, my mom's alive. <laughs> Yeah, so, no, I know. It, it's definitely big. He like, keeps ripping these things away from them. He's uh, he's done not so kind <laughs> things with dead relatives to mm. both of the kids. Yeah. But only Alex knows that he did it. Yeah, that's funny. So we see Alex kind of again push him to maybe stop doing stuff like that. Yeah, and then when she figures out what's going on with Marin, she kind of A, pushes him to talk to Jean about it and then she, but she's also, it's interesting her boundaries with Jean because he figures out, you know, something's up and she's like, it's not my place to say it. You need to deal with that. Yeah. And then at the end of that storyline, Jean is like, Alex, will you please tell my father he's nowhere near his end? And she says that it's not her place to say and that only your father knows. So there's this trend of Alex playing this role of helping Jean to confront things and accept them and kind of grounding him. Yeah, well, and he plays a similar role for her, too, in some respects, because she's come to him about, you know, realizing that she wants to be a parent or with questions about whether she's in the right place in her career. And also she she, you know, she comes to him with kind of heavy emotional burdens and stuff if she's worried about Kara or things like that. So they have a really nice dynamic. Yeah. And the other thing that was kind of came to my mind mentioning, you know, how Alex came to Jean talking about like figuring out what to do with Ruby and then wanting to be a parent. Alex's speech that she gave to Kara in episode 304 about all the different things that she did as a kid with Eliza and that she wants to do again as a parent someday actually made me consider that there were so many things that Jean missed out on the opportunity to do with his own children because mm. they were murdered at a young age and how he's been able to in some ways give himself a little bit of a second chance to do some of those parent milestones with Alex and Kara like you have that cute moment of them flying together in season one where he's like I need to train you in proper flight technique yes <laughs> and you know Alex asks him to be in her wedding and he has her over so she can spend time with his father mm -hmm. when they're adults and getting to share bits and pieces of his past and his childhood and it's also nice that Kara got to share in John's favorite memory of his, mm -hmm. his children and, yep. and 
his father. Yeah. So it we've see we see so much from Kara's point of view of how this little family unit has kind of filled a hole for her. Yeah. But at the same time, it's done the same thing for Jean. It's it's just not emphasized as much, but it's still very present. Mm. And it's great. It is. <laughs> so we saw Jean embrace over the seasons having this relationship with Car and Alex and with the other characters on the show. We saw him connect to Megan despite the hurdles he had to get over to share that bond. And we might see in the future another love interest is something that David Harewood has hinted at during Comic-Con. I don't see any signs of it just yet, but something to no, look forward to. Uh, they haven't introduced any characters yet who seem like they'd potentially fill that role. Mm, yes. Although I hope they do because watching the uh, awkward flirtations with Senator Crane in season one was definitely fun. Yes, a highlight. <laughs> and in terms of things we may see in the future, David also talked about maybe finding a way for Marin to make another appearance. Ooh. Yeah, which sort of makes sense in terms of Jean having this very spiritual life right now and like mind reading and like telepathy and, and we're seeing him tap into his powers in a new way. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what that will do or just what will happen in general with Jean and that vow to kind of follow his father's path and embrace that nonviolent lifestyle because I know there's going to be a twist coming up with um, Manchester mm. and what's happening with his story. So it, it will be curious to see what kind of places Jean goes to in his quest to try to help Manchester and also to continue to help Kara and Alex and the other aliens that he's sort of been mentoring and working with in his little like the therapy circle mm, yeah as the season goes forward with the, with the fight between the anti-alien faction and everybody else yeah so Jean's in a place where he feels comfortable confronting a lot of his uh his trauma and reconnecting with people and it's like he's he's in the final stretch in a way in terms of being fully realized and in, in living his happy life yeah. as his father asked him to. Yes, so that'll be really cool to see when the show comes back. And if you would like to contact us and chat about the episode or any previous podcast episodes, you can contact us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirl's Attic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>